it's going to be interesting because I've got new glasses. So I know I'm getting old because I've got very focal glasses. So I'm going to be my head's going to be bobbing up and down a lot trying to get things into focus. Okay, so um, the subject of tonight is worship. And um, just before we plunge, as it were, into the worship section of the Sevenfold Puja, um, it's just a reminder that, I mean, I wasn't here for the talk last week, but last week you, you did have an introduction to the Bodhicari Avatara. Um, so obviously I'm not going to go over everything that Daniel brought out, but it might be worth just saying a few words for anybody who wasn't, wasn't there last week. So the Bodhicari Avatara um, is a guide to the Buddhist path uh, to awakening. And it's a, sec- a section of various verses. Um, and it was written by a monk, Shantideva, about 1,300 years ago. And it's from this book that, as probably most of you know, we take our own sevenfold puja. Um, I won't say anything else about that, obviously. Um, if you want to know more, there's great introduction uh, in front of the Bodhicharivatara. And this is the one that's written by Kate Crosby and Andrew Skilton, which is the one that, when we're on our Gihiloka ordination retreats, we actually sit under the trees uh, to keep out of the, the burning uh, sunshine and actually go through the various verses uh, over a period of quite a few weeks and really immerse ourselves in this in this book. So I can thoroughly recommend it. Okay, so, um, so we're looking at worship. Now worship is the first section of Sevenfold Puja, but interestingly, it's not the first section of the Bodhicharyavatara. So I thought I'd just say a little bit about Chapter 1 before we go on to Chapter 2, which is where we we take the worship section from. Okay, so Chapter 1 is really about setting the scene. It's really (coughs) praising uh, the qualities of the awakening mind, the uh, the Bodhicitta. Basically, the bodhicitta, uh, when we go for refuge to the Buddha, we do that because the Buddha uh, embodies the qualities of the awakening mind. So chapter one, uh, I'll just uh, plunge straight in there and read out a couple of my favourite verses uh, from chapter one. Um, (coughs) This one kind of gets you straight there. (laughs) Um, This opportune moment is extremely hard to meet. Once met, it yields the welfare of mankind. If the advantage is neglected now, how will this meeting come again? It's really about seizing the precious moment. You've come in contact with the Dharma. You've come in contact with Buddhism. Go for it. If you neglect it when it's there, right in front of your face, when are you going to do it if you can't do it when it's right there in front of you? Um, again, we're talking about the awakening mind and again, some of the qualities that uh, uh, are said that the, the awakening mind has. It says it's a tree that constantly fruits. It does not wither but continues to produce. When the awakening mi- mind has arisen, a wretch captive in the prison of existence he is straightway hailed son of the Sugatas to be revered, revered in the worlds of gods and men. It satisfies with every happiness those starved of happiness and cuts away oppressions from those oppressed in many ways. Yes, it's really set in the scene. This is what it's about, yeah? So we don't have that in the worship section, we just go straight in to the worship section. Okay, so the worship section comes from chapter two of the Bodhicharyavatara. And before we go into too much, again, I'll just um, read out a few points. Oh, excuse me. 
So the, the, the first verse of chapter 2, which is where we get the worship section from, says, That I may fully grasp that jewel, the mind. I worship here the Tathagatas and the flawless jewel, the true Dharma, and the sons of the Buddhas who are oceans of virtues. So what's going on here is he's saying what, what he's doing, what he needs to do to um, bring about the awakening mind, yeah? to, to fully grasp that jewel. What he needs to do is worship the Buddha, worship the Dharma, and worship the Sangha. Yeah? So he's again setting out what it is he needs to do. Okay, so the verses that follow on from that are actually just verses of worship. And these are the actual verses that we get the first section of the puja from. Okay, so some of them you may recognise. So we could say, I envelop them in heady clouds of incense, rich, pervading and aromatic. I make them an offering of food, soft and hard, and many kinds of drink. So that's there. Uh, again, there's other verses that are very poetic. Um, not only is, is, is um, Shantideva here offering things, he's offering himself. I give myself entirely to the conquerors and to their sons. Take possession of me, sublime beings. Out of devotion, I am your slave. as many blossoms and fruits and medicinal herbs as there are, as many jewels as there are in the world, and refreshing clear waters, along with jewel-formed mountains and other places, forest groves, creepers brilliant with beautiful flowers, their ornaments and trees, boughs bowed low under the weight of full fruit. So what he's trying to do is conjure up in his mind all the beauties, all the wonders that existence can offer and he's going to offer them to the Buddha that's what we're trying to do in that first section first section is bring to mind all the things that we value beautiful things and make offerings to the Buddha okay I won't do much more reading out of here but I just thought it would be good just to uh, read the verses again from the first section and just show you where they come from out of this book okay so the first verse of the first chapter with mandarava blue lotus and jasmine with all flowers pleasing and fragrant and with garlands skillfully woven I pay honour to the princes of the sages, so worthy of veneration. And again, that comes from verse 15 here. I glorify the most glorious lords of sages with all sweetly scented blossoms, delightful to the mind, celestial flowers, jasmine, blue lotus and others, and with garlands alluringly arranged. The second verse is here. I envelop them in clouds of incense, sweet and penetrating and make them offerings of food hard and soft and pleasing kinds of liquids to drink and again we have here I envelop them in heady clouds of incense rich, pervading and aromatic I make them an offering of foods soft and hard and many kinds of drink and finally I offer them lamps encrusted with jewels festooned with golden lotus on the paving sprinkled with perfume I scatter handfuls of beautiful flowers and again I offer bejeweled lamps arrayed in rows on golden lotuses and on the mosaic floors sprinkled with perfume I strew lovely drifts of flowers so really what's, what's happening here is out of the whole of the various verses here in the worship section um, we've just taken three verses here and this is what we're trying to do with the worship section is bring to mind these beautiful offerings that we're going to offer to the Buddha.
Okay, so that's sort of by way of uh, an introduction of what the where we where we actually get the worship section from in our sevenfold puja. So, um, well, what what's going on? What's all this worship about then? I know um, worship can be a bit of a struggle. It all sounds very nice. All these lovely words that we're talking about. I know. Um, first time I uh, heard about worship in, in Buddhism it was a bit like oh <laughs> I was quite enjoying Buddhism until you said about this worship um, that's not what I want to do that's not what I signed up for um, you know what, what's going on here and even even to this day catch me off guard and, and mention worship and I kind of can shudder a little bit I sort of imagine myself back in um, in, a, in an evangelical church I went to in my early 20s when I was, I suppose, trying to find some higher values and all around me were these people dropping to their knees and I was just like, no, get me out of here. <laughs> so, you know, that is, you know, that is kind of something I'm going to have to carry with me for a long time, mention worship and, uh, ooh, you know, that, that can be my response. So I kind of just lay that out there, you know, I think most people, well not most people, quite a few people, I can tell by your laughs, are perhaps resonating with what I'm saying. And that's okay, you know, it's not that you're a bad Buddhist because you don't jump with joy when somebody says we're going to do a puja, you know, it's okay, it's, uh, it's okay to have that response. <laughs> So, what's going on? What is it that we're actually trying to do with the worship section? We're not just doing it because we're good Buddhists and it's what we have to do. Um, there's, there's something going on. If, if, it's, if it's Buddhism, then there's a meaning to it. There's something going on. It's not just froth. We're doing it for a reason. It's part of our practice. So, I've just done a few headings here about what, what I think is going on in the, in the worship section. And that's basically just out of doing it for 10 years now, I guess, I've been doing it. Um, so what I always try and imagine that we're doing here is that what we're trying to, trying to do is actually bring the Buddha into our experience. That what we're, trying to, what we're trying to imagine is that the Buddha is really here. It's kind of um, shortening that distance if you like, between us and our ideal. We've, we've kind of devoted our lives, we've set our lives um, in the direction of enlightenment or we're thinking about doing that where, wherever you're at. So here we are and over there somewhere is the Buddha or enlightenment. And it's a long way off. We can feel like that sometimes. So what we're trying to do in the worship section is kind of shorten that gap a little bit if you like by bringing the Buddha into our experience by making the Buddha here how you do that you know again that's kind of how you respond to enlightenment um, for me I very much saw the Buddha as a man very much resonate with Shakyamuni Buddha as, as a man in orange robes who was a man who really existed um, I find that my way in, if you like, to the ideal of enlightenment. He was a man um, and he attained enlightenment. I was a man, I can attain enlightenment. Others can really identify with what some of you may have heard of as Buddha nature. So rather than this Buddha being a figure out there in some kind of mythical form, but actually our Buddha nature is our own potential to become enlightened and again that can be something that we might want to bring to mind when we're thinking about worshipping uh, the Buddha or our ideal of enlightenment and again there can be other uh, mythical figures I know I know at Guhiloka on the ordination retreat had a real connection with Padmasambhava uh, and often would try and bring him to mind during uh, pujas so that actually rather than worshipping something abstract I was actually worshipping something I had a connection with 
another thing I think we're trying to do um, is we have a response to our ideal uh, and that response is at its best a kind of a joyful devotion um, you know we're really really happy that we have found an ideal um, the little story that came to mind when I thought of that was um, I don't know whether it's true but it's kind of what I'd heard about um, uh, Sangharashita the founder of um, what are we called now? TB? No. TBC the Sri Ratna Buddhist community um, he um, used to go to India quite a bit and um, what would happen is that um, he would go out there with a couple of order members and what would really um, take them back was that the followers of Buddhism out there had such a, a sense of joyful devotion towards Bhante, such a sense of appreciation that they would throw flowers over him, they would give him garlands, that they'd be prostrating at his feet, um, just because it was almost that they couldn't help themselves but respond with joyful devotion. Um, and what I quite like about that is the, the other side of the story is sort of like how over here at the West, you know, we're sort of like, oh, hello, Bhante. <laughs> so it's sort of like you've got this whole tradition sort of throwing themselves at his feet and then over here we're sort of, hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> That's kind of it, really. So, you know, what we're trying to do in the puja is, you know, re really respond um, with joyful devotion. Um, another thing I always try and bring to mind um, during the worship section is that this is this is very much a celebration as well. It's, it's joyful devotion, but it's a, it's a celebration. And um, one way I connect with that. Is um, some, some of you may have seen the, the refuge tree of the Western, but I'm just going to use the old, West, old, old, old name for now. The refuge tree of the Western Buddhist order, it's an image of the Buddha and the Sangha and the Dharma and various teachers of, of different traditions. Um, and, it's, and it's like they're there and they're, they're really happy that they're, they're there. And we imagine ourselves as Buddhists, going for refuge to um, the Three Jewels. But also all around are these mythical figures, these Darkers and Darkinis, these gods, uh, these beings that we can't really see, these, these kind of transparent uh, images of, of mythical beings. And they're with us. They're like really celebrating the fact that the Three Jewels are there and they're throwing uh, flowers and songs and they're making songs and they're playing their harps so it's like this real um, celebration going on and it's not just us here in this room but it's like when we practice puja together we bring about these other beings that are there with us celebrating the fact that we can go for refuge to the three jewels <coughs> um yeah, along that along that same line really it's just like um, an appreciation that well I know what I bring to mind is that I try and bring to mind an appreciation that I um, found the Dharma found Buddhism um, and you know I found it within this particular tradition um, I, I was lucky you know I, I, I'm, it, it worked for me um, but what I'm celebrating is when I'm doing it in this tradition I'm celebrating the three jewels if you like. it's these higher values that have been uh, explained to me within this tradition but I'm, I'm certain that these higher values um, will be explained to you in other traditions and other traditions do puja so it's like this celebration of the higher values it doesn't matter which tradition you're in it's the higher values that we're really appreciating the existence of and the easiest way for me I think to appreciate that is to imagine what life would be like without them for me uh, and then it's like oh yeah <laughs> it's, great, it's great that they're there because um, oh, I remember what it was like when, when it wasn't going on you know when uh, 
life was what it was before. <coughs> and again, um, the sense of appreciation. So in the worship section, we're um, responding uh, with our appreciation to the fact that this whole tradition offers us not just the lofty goal of the three jewels and the Buddha and enlightenment, but that actually we can follow a path. That rather than them being beautiful objects on a mantelpiece that we worship, what's it called, worshiping false idols or something, that's not what we're doing. You know, we've got a real appreciation of the fact that not only are these higher values there, but that we can move towards them, that we can start to become those values or even become those values. They're not distant from us. And that's quite an amazing thing to think that there are these values in the world that we can worship look up to but actually we can move towards and become I find that quite fascinating anyway okay so that's uh, a few things there um, so we, we do this uh, worship section um, together and what we're doing is in call and response we're reciting these verses so that's what we do on the face of it, if you were a little Martian, as it were, looking down into the shrine room, going, what's going on there? Oh, yeah, he's saying that, and then they're repeating it, and then he's saying that, and they're repeating it. So that was all that was going on. It would be a rather bizarre thing. Maybe that is all that's going on for you. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, again, what we're trying to do is kind of really enter this realm of the imagination. Yeah, that we're really imagining that the Buddha's here, and we're really imagining these beautiful lotuses, jasmine, flowers, garlands, jeweled encrusted lamps, that these things are really here with us in our hearts, in our minds, in the room, in our imagination. We say these things, we imagine these things, uh, then at the end of the worship section someone will um, lead us in a mantra. Uh, won't say anything about mantras now. So we've said we're going to do this worship thing. We've imagined we're going to do this worship thing. And then we have to get up off our cushions, if we want to, if we feel so moved, and actually uh, do it. We, we make offerings. So we imagine it, and we say it, and then if we feel so moved, we can actually get up and do it. And in your, uh, in, in most sevenfold pujas, what you will actually offer may be um, yourself when you, when you bow to the Buddha. Uh, you move towards the Buddha. So again, you're offering that movement towards the Buddha. And then often what will happen is you'll offer an inc uh, a stick of incense. And in other, other pujas that we celebrate in the uh, FWBO, um, Ratnaguna spoke about the Kalyana Mitra ceremony, uh, and also some of you may have been through a Mitra ceremony, and also those of us that have been ordained. When we make offerings, it's, we, we offer a little bit more than that. Yeah? So what we tend to offer is the three uh, traditional offerings, incense, candles and flowers and I suspect most of you will know but the first time I heard it I was thought oh right that's interesting, I now I know why we're doing that. So um, what will often be uh, explained is that incense is a very small object and um, just out of it comes these tiny wafts of smoke but this small action that's going on can fill a whole room and it's from these small actions big consequences can occur so what I always tend to think of incense as being is kind of ethics if you like it, it, it's 
uh, it's a, a ritual manifestation of ethics. Some one small action, uh, larger consequences can can flow. Um, candles. Um, again, we're looking at light, uh, bringing light into a, a darkened world, uh, enlightenment. And flowers. Again, they they as it were represent. Uh, wisdom through their impermanence but one minute they can be there uh, beautiful new in bloom uh, sweet smelling and then a few days or less or more and they start to wilt the colours fade uh, the petals fall off it's really quite um, did you go to school okay? yeah yeah where, like you go on these uh, retreats at Gulok and you're desperate to put some lovely flowers on the shrine and um, it's really difficult because nothing grows out there it's like uh, things will sort of burst and then sort of burst into being and then they're dead within a day you know like the ground is just full of all these um, leaves and eventually you'd, you'd sort of find something that you wanted to put on the shrine and I'm so used to like buying a nice bunch of flowers from M&S and they last a week and, and then they last two weeks and you think, my God, what have they made those flowers of? They're never going to die. Um, you put something up in, in Gihiloka and it, it's sort of like the next day everything, they're sort of falling apart, the thorns are falling off and you're sitting there meditating and you can sort of hear the leaves dropping off these, these flowers onto the shrines. So, you know, it's a real symbol of impermanence. So, in a way, that's it. That's the worship section. Uh, we bring to mind the three jewels. We imagine ourselves uh, making these offerings to our highest ideals. We get up, we make offerings, we sit back down, and then we move on to the next section, which you'll be doing next week. Um, so, before I end, I've got a couple of pages here. So nearly done um, just back to um, this idea that in the Bodhi Charya Bhattari you had uh, section 1 chapter 1 where um, Shantideva is talking about preparation and I think that's really helpful with worship, with puja um, So again, I'm just going to run through a few little Mani Raja hints and tips to keep the worship section of your puja alive. Um, and these are a few things that have worked for me. Um, I always like to give myself a little bit of notice that I'm going to be doing a puja. Um, it's, I suppose where that's coming from is there is a part of me, large or small, that actually doesn't want to do a puja, that actually would rather go home and look at Google or Wikipedia or some other wholesome thing on the internet, um, or watch a bit of telly or meet some friends or read a book or anything really. <laughs> so um, if I'm making a decision to come to a puja, I, I always like to give myself notice. It's kind of, it's kind of tapping into that um, just being kind to myself, kind of acknowledging that actually I'm not this great integrated being that completely loves every puja and goes to every single one that's offered, that actually there is a part of me that doesn't want to be there. And that actually, if I just give myself a little bit of notice and say, look, Manny Raja, we're going to that puja tonight. Oh yeah, oh yeah, thanks for reminding me. It's kind of, it's, it's almost like more of me can be there. It works for me. Um, again, just trying to um, create a little bit of space before you, you rush into your, your worship section, before you rush into the puja. Yeah? So, you know, kind of running up the wooden stairs, flicking your shoes off, running through the, through the door, saluting the shrine, plonking yourself down, and wondering why you can't connect with the Buddha. You know, it's just try and give yourself a little bit of space before you start. And if you can arrive in plenty of time, um, 
you know, really preparing your seat uh, that you're going to be on to practice puja. Um, you know, get your cushions right. You know, lay it out straight. I'm, I'm a bit of a, I suppose I'm a bit of a, a rad, you know, raja kind of. I like things to be done properly, and I suppose I'm a bit an old, old-fashioned guy. I like, you know, I kind of like it all in rows, you know, and uh, you know, everybody kind of like at their best, you know. I'm, I'm not talking about Sunday best here, but it's almost like. You know, we tr- we're going to be worshipping here the highest values in our lives. So, you know, let's just get our cushion straight. Let's just get our blanket straight. Let's just get ourselves ready and prepared for what we're going to be doing. Um, again, preparing the shrine room. Um, you know, either now. So, you know, don't wait for the older members or someone to get up and light the candles do it, you know, grab the matches, they're always under there, and if they're not under there, there'll be some in the in the other shrine room, you know, fight to light the candles, you know, kind of get there, you know, don't sort of sit back and shyly wait for somebody to do it for you. Um, you know, check that the flowers are okay, check that everything's in order. And that can be now, or you can um, find another way of, if you can't go to the puja that night, well, help the centre team my little plug for helping the centre team. Um, you know, that copper door really looks beautiful when it's been uh, polished. You know, I used to come in religiously every week and polish that door, and I know it's not a two-minute job. But, you know, just come in, they'll, they'll get you a little tin of um, that stuff that really smells. And, you know, and while you're doing it, you're here, you're preparing the shrine room, you're making it a beautiful space, you're actually doing something. You know, again, Buddhism is about doing something. So, you know, offer to clean the copper door or offer to buy the flowers or prepare the flowers. You know, don't wait for them to do it for you. It, you know, it's your shrine, it's your space, you, you do it. You know, even if it's just popping in and trimming the candles or clearing the incense out from the shrine, from the offerings tray or going to Chinatown and buying some incense or just popping in and just dusting the shrine. You know, just do it. Prepare the space. Just check with the centre team before you do that, though. (laughs) Um, Another thing to do is kind of, again, I was talking about meaning, is actually have a little bit of time before the puja and just look at the shrine and just, as it were, look for the meaning. Why, Why are things there. Why are they like they are? What's going on? Oh yeah, Manny Rajari mentioned the candles and the flowers and the incense. You know, what's going on with that Buddha? Why why is there why is that Buddha like that? You know, of all the different forms that the Buddha could be in, why have we got the Buddha like that? I know, but I'll let you find out. Um, you know, we've got picture of Glenn on the shrine and for many people you know that is a real image of friendship and of love and of sangha and of sadness and impermanence it's not just there because it's a nice picture it's there for, it's there to connect us that the three jewels is about these high values in human life and that we need to practice now and Glenn set that example of a life practicing the Dharma Banti he's there it's not there just because it's the right thing to do it's there to help us connect with the founder of our movement which connects us to the other traditions which takes us back to the Buddha you know, it's a way into the three jewels it's not just there for decoration it's there for meaning it's there because uh, it helps us go for refuge And again, I think, um, you know, when you're talking about worshipping the Buddha, I think sometimes it's quite difficult to do. You know, I'm, you know I don't want to... None, none of you will, will always find it always easy to just bring the Buddha to mind, offer him all these wonderful flowers and, and worship the Buddha. So it's almost like keeping the Buddha alive as much as you can in your own way, not just bringing him alive in the puja, but, as it were, bringing them alive in your everyday life. Whether that's through 
your own personal shrines or pictures or study. Um, one thing I often quite like to do is just imagining that I'm walking with the Buddha. You know, it's like I'm walking along the road and the Buddha is walking along with me. What, what would I say? What, what would we say? What, what would we talk about? What would he say to me? And another little bit of preparation that you might want to do is we don't always rely on someone from the centre team having put the incense out. It's quite embarrassing, wouldn't it, to be sitting there imagining these wonderful ideals and you get up and you go to the shrine to make your offering and someone from the centre team's got to put the incense out, you know, it's kind of real Buddhist faux pas there. You know, don't rely on other people for your offerings. It's okay, you know, they're, they're fine, use, use the incense, but maybe see the incense kind of as backup. You know, you, you left your offering at home or you just, you really wanted to make an offering but you just didn't have time and, you know, I'll use, I'll use the incense. You know, buy your own incense, bring your own incense, uh, make a poem, uh, make a confession, bring a flower, bring a candle, um, make those offerings, you know, own, own your offerings and make your offerings to the shrine. Okay, so nearly done. Uh, just a, a quick uh, other thing that occurred to me that I thought would be quite useful in raising when we talk about worship. Um, it's a whole talk in itself, so I won't go into very much. Um, some of you will or will have heard of the three fetters, and it's said that these three fetters, as it were, uh, bind us to our habitual ways of operating in the world. And apparently all we've got to do is break one of these fetters and the other two will quite naturally break and we will become stream entrance and enlightenment is guaranteed, if not in this life, in a couple of other lifetimes. So um, these three fetters, uh, the first one is having this idea of, of a fixed self and puja is a great uh, practice for uh, weakening that fetter, you know, really overcoming resistance to wholeheartedly engaging in a puja, wholeheartedly going for it in the worship section. Um, and it's great to see the change as well, because if you overcome that resistance, you might start the puja in a certain way, a certain emotional experience and you finish the puja in a different way, in a different emotional experience. So if you are this fixed, unchanging being, how come you're different from the person that started the puja and you finish the puja? Just a, a quick word there about overcoming resistance. There's no room for guilt in Buddhism. So if you committed to coming to the puja and suddenly you can't come to the puja because actually you're just absolutely exhausted and you have to go home, well, just make that decision mindfully and with awareness, wholeheartedly, and don't come to the puja. But, you know, maybe don't always not come to the puja. You know, kind of overcome your resistances. If you've made that decision not to come, there's no room for guilt. Um... Second fetter, uh, doubt. Um, so again, what we're looking to do in puja is cultivate uh, faith, faith in the three jewels. And for me, what works is is looking for insights. Um, look for look for wisdom in the puja. You know, you're engaging uh, with with faith. There's there's a lot of emotional activity going on. And you know you, you're, you're asked to, to cultivate faith in the three jewels. You know, balance that with wisdom. Um, it's not just about faith. There's a whole talk there, and I won't go into that. And the final fetter is uh, rites and rituals. So it's seeing rites and rituals as ends in themselves. 
So again, it's just really reiterating that puja uh, worship. We don't just do it because we've got to, you know, oh, I'm a mitra now, so I must go to the puja, or I'm an order member, so I must go to the puja. Um, that's lots of musts, that's lots of rights, that's lots of thinking that just doing the puja in and of itself will get you enlightened. If you go to your puja with that uh, aspiration for being there, or that inspiration for being there, um, well, just see what happens. Um, so again, it's just really just checking that you're doing the puja, you're 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 doing these things out of a sense of practice. Yeah. Um, couple more hints and then I'm done. Okay. So if we're talking about puja as uh, practice, well, one of those is, is mindfulness of, of self. Yeah, Mind, mindfulness of who you are. So, um, really, when you're conjuring up these, when when, when you're doing the puja, it, it's being it's fully engaging with yourself with what's going on, not just. Um, a guy used to lead pujas at, at Padmaloka used to say, don't just put the needle on the record. So it's not just sitting there going with Mandara with Lulotes and Chalimutra. You know, it's really, as it were, engaging with what you're saying mindfully. Um, awareness of others. Um, one good way of doing that is actually uh, engaging with the mantras. Um, so sometimes <laughs> you can hear somebody sort of slightly out of tune and off key and maybe that's just because I'm not very good at mantras it might be me actually <laughs> but actually what you've got to be careful is that you're you're just sitting there doing the mantra by yourself yeah that's not what you're doing it's just a collective practice so when we're doing the mantras we're doing it together so if you're louder than everybody else, you can't hear everybody else. So, you know, what you're trying to do is listen to others. But if you're too quiet, then no one else can hear you and you end up with this kind of ever-decreasing... So it's kind of engaging with it mindfully with others. Um, offerings, that's always a good, good thing. When you're doing the offerings uh, section... Um, kind of like these these two extremes uh, of the offerings um, sort of like anarchist chaos <laughs> where everyone's kind of stumbling over everybody to get to the get to the wall first because they don't want to be the last one there and uh, you know treading on people's glasses that they put down on their cushions on their way up to the shrine and um, you know kind of grabbing sticks and you know never gets that bad well not very often and um you know, this kind of synchronised swim thing, you know, where, you know, these robots get up and walk down and they, you know, salute at the same time and offer at the same time. So it's kind of like just being aware uh, of others, that you're up there making offerings with others. Um, and it, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's kind of like a dignified thing that we're doing together. So, um, you know, may, you don't have to do everything together, but maybe leaving the shrine at the same time you know, that might be something you might want to try uh, and if people are up there then yeah, just wait it's fine it's not it's not gonna they're not gonna ding the bell before you've done your offering you know whoever's leading the the puja will be mindful enough to see who's who's making offerings and you know if you're the last it doesn't matter it's okay if you're the first it doesn't matter it's okay um, and finally, just seeing um, puja uh, worship as actions having consequences. So you're doing this really positive thing. There's not many more positive things you can do uh, that's more positive than worshipping the three jewels. And one of those little teachings I always carry with me uh, from Priyavadita's day 
It's always to talk about what you dwell on, you become. Um, what, you, what you turn your mind to is what you manifest, if you like. Um, and so really what, we're, what we can do is use the puja to dwell on the Buddha, to move towards the Buddha. So we're, we're really ritualising and engaging our hearts and our minds on the Buddha. What we dwell on, we become. I'll leave it there. Yeah, sure. If I can't answer them, you, you, you can help me out. <laughs> hmm. Okay. What do you think it means? Hmm. Okay. So I think the question, your, your, your question is, there's a line here that says, I pay honour to the princes of the sages. So, what does that mean? Is that, is that, is that your question, yeah? Princes of the sages? Who, what, who's? I know what I think it is, but I might be wrong. <laughs> well, I know what comes to mind when I think of it. Um, so, um, well, when I think of the sages, I think of the Buddhas. So, I think of them as being, um, I always think of like the great knowing ones, um, the great teachers. Uh, and so, what we're talking about here is, is Buddhism. We're not talking about physics or psychology. We're talking about spiritual matters. So, the Buddha, as it were, is the great sage uh, in all matters uh, spiritual and when I think of the princes of the sages I always think of the bodhisattvas and the sangha um, so it's like maybe it's a more poetic word of saying um, or a more poetic way of saying I pay honour to the disciples of the Buddha and the Buddhas That's what comes to mind when I think of it. Yeah, there's a thing about royalty as well, isn't there? Yeah. The, uh, the ancient Indians used to have you know, great devotion to royalty, and they sort of transposed that devotion to royalty onto the disciples of the Buddha. Mm. Um, it was doubt, uh, doubt, as in um, it's. Um, I mean, apparently, it's quite a good quality. It has great doubt, um, so it's. Y- you know that everything is impermanent; that actions have consequences. But actually, what is holding you back is that actually you don't wholeheartedly, one hundred percent, believe it in all situations and at all times and that actually it might make sense intellectually but it hasn't quite uh, got to the depths of your heart you know if you if I really thought that everything was impermanent uh, why would I buy a laptop you know or if I really saw how everything including life was impermanent I really really saw it why would I waste my time playing with toys? You know, <laughs> I'd be really wholeheartedly, 100% engaging in going for refuge to the three jewels. So obviously, I'm not completely seeing seeing it. Mm. Call and 
in the Fuji book. Mm. But what about think about what you're feeling? Mm-hmm. And that the question is about is it sometimes I'm feeling um, uh, emotions, other times I'm feeling um, doubt. Mm. So awareness, mindful of self, is to actually well hold both of those mm. possibilities and, mm. and struggle with mm. struggle with the puja mm. and, and, and feel the struggle and, and work with that mm. and aware. Mm. You know, if you if you put twenty people in a room and they all sit down and do puja, they're all going to be feeling twenty different things, aren't they? And they're, one puja is not going to be the same as the next. Um, I think that's kind of what I was getting at with insight. It's almost very interesting that you can sit down and you can do the same puja. Uh, day after day, night after night, month after month, and when you're used to being bringing awareness to yourself and to your body and your feelings and your emotions, it's really interesting how you can do that. And one day, it's like looking at a completely different person uh, when actually all around you it's the same shrine room, it's the same puja, it's the same leader, it's the same verses. You know, it's like a real opportunity for insight, like. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on here? You know, I think it's a real opportunity there, isn't it? Yeah. So that that's that's looking at self. Isn't yeah. It? Looking at the yeah. If you're not look, it's almost like insight is there within yourself. If you're not looking, you know, what a wasted opportunity to be doing this uh, ritual practice regularly in the same way and not spotting how different you are and how different you're feeling from one puja to the next from the start of the verse to the next from the beginning of the puja to the next there's like all these answers or all these opportunities for insight are there if we're not being mindful of ourselves, if we're not being aware of what's going on we're missing it aren't we thank you very much thank you okay thank you